listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Thank you for joining us again for this episode of Let the Bible Speak. Today I want to begin a short series of studies on the subject of the Christian church in the world. We think of Christ's words as he ascends to go to be with his Father and prepare a place for us. And he instructs the disciples, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We understand from that that the church's function in the world is to be evangelistic. We are in the world in order to make the gospel known to the world. It is the will of God that his people are not taken from this world straight to glory when they come to faith, but rather live for a time, making the gospel known to every creature. As the world continues in sin, and indeed as we see it in our own day, as the world declines further into sin, so the challenge of the church in the world continues How do we live in the midst of such wickedness? We must beware extremes. We are in the world and yet not off the world. But we are undoubtedly to be in the world and not out of the world. And so I want to see this concept by beginning our studies looking at Philippians chapter 2. Let me read to you the words 14 through 17. Paul says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, and the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither laboured in vain, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Let's pray and ask for God's help as we Consider these words together today. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we are thankful again for the word that guides and directs our thinking and our action. We pray that the word will be a blessing to all that hear today. Give us wisdom to properly apply the word. And we pray that your people listening to this broadcast would know your grace whereby they can indeed be useful servants of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And so bless us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so we have here in these words to the Philippian church, Paul's description of the church, that they are those who shine as lights in the world. We have here a description of the interaction between the church and the world. The world is described as being crooked and perverse, and yet the church functions as lights in the midst of such wickedness. And so we have here a very clear text regarding the church's existence in the midst of the world. The text says, Among whom ye shine as lights in the world. The church lives in the midst of wickedness. The church lives in the midst of a sinful generation. And so let's begin our consideration of this text by thinking, first of all, about the world. Thinking about the surrounding conditions 
in which the church exists. The text describes the world with two adjectives. It is referred to as being crooked and perverse. The word nation that's used in the text in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation speaks of a generation. Paul is describing the world in which the church lived at that time. He's describing the world in which the Philippian church was functioning and existing. And yet the words he uses have relevance to the world in every age, not just in the age of the New Testament, but even in our own present generation. He uses the word crooked, and the word there is the word that we get our word scoliosis from, and that term that describes the curvature of the spine. We get a sense of the meaning of this word as it is used in Luke chapter 3 and the verse 4 and 5. Where it says there, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight. There's the word crooked used uh, in the New Testament's presentation of the words of Isaiah. Of course, referring to the ministry of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist came into the world in order to preach the message of repentance. And so we see that to be crooked is to be opposite of being straight. And to be crooked is to speak of living a life that is completely opposite to the word of God. The crooked being made straight is a metaphor of conversion. That those who repent, they repent of their crookedness and they come into the right way of God. That is borne out when you consider how the word straight is used in other scriptures. Regarding Simon, who again showed himself to be against the will of God in Acts chapter 8, it is said of him, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. And that word right is the word straight that's used in Luke chapter 3. And so to be Right is to be straight in the ways of God, opposite of being crooked. Regarding Elymas in Acts chapter 13, Elymas the sorcerer, he's described in this way, Thou child of the devil, thy enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Here the ways of the Lord are described as being right or straight. We have others, false teachers in Second Peter chapter 2, who have forsaken the right way and are gone astray. So you see, consistently the word right or straight is used for the ways of God, and thus the word crooked speaks of those who are against the ways of God. Connected to the word crooked is then the word perverse. This word speaks of distortion of some form. I do wonder that if crooked speaks of our actions, does perverse speak about our thinking? The word perverse is used even regarding Christ by his accusers. In Luke chapter 23, they began to accuse him, saying, We find this fellow perverting the nation, saying that he himself is Christ the king. This idea of Christ being accused of perverting the nation because he was changing the thinking of the people of his time. I've referred already to Elymas the sorcerer who was seeking to pervert the right ways of the Lord. Well, two verses previously, it says that he is seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. He's seeking to change the mind of one who is coming to faith in Christ Jesus. Within the 
church in Ephesus, there were those who would arise, according to Paul in Acts chapter 20, who would seek to draw away disciples after them, speaking perverse things, false teaching, distortion in thinking, distortion in doctrine. And so you have these two words together, crooked and perverse. Perverse speaking of distortion of thought, distortion regarding doctrinal standards and ethics, leading to then a crookedness in practice. We live in a crooked and perverse generation. We live in the midst of a society that calls righteousness evil and evil good. There's all manner of confusion regarding the sexual ethic. There's all manner of confusion regarding the right to life and the desire to promote abortion, whereby murder is referred to as health care. That's calling evil good. You have the confusion regarding the sexual ethic. And again, God's good way is referred to as being evil and evil actions are referred to as being good. You see, when the mind turns away from God, the actions will follow and everything is distorted. We live in a day when the Bible has been neglected and God's standard of righteousness has been has been thrown into the trash. And so we live in a day that having turned away from God and from his ways, there is therefore the resulted crookedness in action. We live in such days. And when practice and thinking goes away from the word of God, then there is crookedness and perverseness and worldliness. We must be clear that when we speak of worldliness, we are speaking of that which is against the word of God. No Christian should ever tolerate thinking or practice like the world. But yet we must acknowledge that we are told and we are called to live in the midst of such thinking and practice. Undoubtedly, the Christian's desire is to withdraw, to move away from all that is so against the word of God. But yet we're told to live and to shine as lights in the world. So having thought about the world and the surrounding conditions, let's think about our witness, our witness as a shining community. Let me again remind you of the text that we're considering. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. When you consider the state of the generation in which the Philippians were living, you may well feel that the best thing for them was to be far removed from the world. But God's will for his church in such an environment is not isolation, but illumination. There are two phrases that are used in this text that reveal how close the church's existence is to the world around. We live in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom we shine as lights in the world it is the prayer of christ the high priest in john chapter 17 that we will be kept from the evil one whilst we're living in the world he does not pray that we're taken out of the world but rather that when we are in the world we are kept and that undoubtedly is the need we do acknowledge there is a tremendous danger for the child of god We know that Paul warned the believers in Rome that they were not to be conformed to this world, but they were to be transformed. We we do acknowledge the need for God's grace. We acknowledge the need for the guidance of the word of God if we're to be kept away from the thinking and then the practice of the world. 
Tragically, we live in a time when we see the world in the church more than the church in the world. And we must guard against the corruption of the church by all worldly influences. But we see in this text that the concern that Paul has is that the Philippian believers, that they function as God intends them to function in the world, that they are not to be isolated from the world, but they are to illuminate the world in which they live. They are to shine as lights in the world. This is the reason that God would have us to remain in the world. It is to illuminate. Note the prescription that is given here. Ye shine. Grammatically, this could either be a statement of fact as an indicative, or it could be a command as in the imperative. It could be either ye are shining or shine ye. Either way, it amounts to the same thing practically. And if it is a command, then, dear believer, we must obey it. If it is seen as a statement of fact, well then, if that is not so, then why not? Either way, we see that it is the will of God that we shine as lights in the world. This so speaks like the words of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Ye are the light of the world. A candle that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I rejoice in the way that the Lord uh, puts this. He tells the believer, you are the light of the world. Therefore, let your light so shine. When we're saved by God's grace, there is a tremendous change in our hearts. We are no longer darkness. We are now light. We have the light of Christ within us and that light is then to be manifest in the world. What the Lord is telling his hearers is that they are to be what they are. The word speaks to illuminate as the stars. The luminaries remove the darkness like a glorious clear evening where the stars give light to the environment. Though there is darkness all around, yet there is light. So the prescription, we are to shine, makes us think about the purpose. What is the purpose of our shining? Well, we are to reveal truth and we are to expose sin. The metaphor of light is used regarding this matter of exposing sin. In John chapter 3, the word of God says, and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Christ is the light that comes into the world and there were those men that loved darkness rather than light because they understood that when they came to the light their deeds would be manifest and be reproved. And so it reminds us that it is indeed the purpose of the child of God by example and by word to reprove the darkness in which we live to show the wickedness of the world in which we live. The Christian is to be distinct. The Christian is to be different in conduct. And indeed, when opportunities come, we are to point out the sin of the world in which we live. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13 says this, 
but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. And so we have this obligation, this challenge, not to tolerate sin, not to have a blind eye to sin, but rather to point out sin and to show sin in the world. But the light not only exposes sin, it also unveils the Saviour. Christ Jesus is the light of the world, and we are those who are to reveal him. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the world. This is a word to Paul and Barnabas. They are the apostles and what are they doing in Acts chapter 13? Well, they're preaching Christ. How, are they, how do they function as lights to the Gentiles? They function as lights by preaching Christ to a lost world. That was the ministry of John the Baptist. In, John the, in the Gospel of John, in the first chapter, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was a true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. It was the purpose of John to bear witness of the light. Indeed, in John chapter 5, Jesus speaks about John and says, He was a burning and a shining light, and you're willing for a season to rejoice in his light. John's purpose was to bear witness of Christ. He was to make Christ known. He was to shine for Christ. And as he shined, so he therefore made Christ known. Christ himself was the life who was the light of men. He is the one, the light that shined in darkness in John chapter 1. But John, as a lesser light, bore witness to the greater light. And so he gives us an example of what our purpose as lights is to be. Well, you might say that's just for John. But Philippians 2 shows us that it's for all the church. Now at times, we must think of ourselves as those who reflect Christ's light. Undoubtedly, he is the sun, the S-U-N of righteousness, the great light, and we are lesser lights. But John himself burned and shone. Similarly, the words in Philippians chapter 2 speaks of us as shining as stars, stars that burn. And so Christ, by his Spirit, burns in us, and we shine as he burns in us. John chapter 12, verse 36, While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. And so this is the gospel. We are saved by grace. Christ lives in us. Christ is formed in us. And as we become more like Christ, so Christ shines through us. And Christ is seen in our lives and by our lips. We speak his word. We make him known. We manifest Christ in a lost world. And by our living, by walking as Christ walked, so we show Christ in this world. I wonder that in all of our interaction with the world, are we having this effect? Do I, in word and action, reveal the sinfulness of the surrounding world? Or am I happy to live in the world without exposing the world? Do I, in word and action, reveal the saviour of the world to the surrounding world? Do I take opportunity to speak of my saviour? Do I live in a way that people could see Christ in me? Sadly, there are popular models of evangelism and there is the increasing of worldliness in the church. 
And the result has been that professing Christians are not light in dark places, but they are darkness in dark places. We need to pray that God would work in our hearts and that we would have Christ formed in us so that Christ could then shine through us for the well-being of the darkness around us. The days in which we live, they, they must understand and the people must understand that there is darkness all around us. It is a crooked and perverse nation. The ways of God are not loved. And the ways of God, they're not, they're not treasured and cherished. And so, may God help us to be lights in this dark day. And so we've thought about the world and the surrounding conditions. And we've thought also about our witness as a shining community. And then finally, let's just consider briefly our walk. Because there is a specified conduct given here for the children of God. The text tells us that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, holding forth the word of life. It's interesting that Paul chooses the term the sons of God to describe the Christian. He could have taken other terms to describe those who believe in the Lord, but those who believe in Christ, they're adopted into the family of God and we are the sons of God. Hence, our conduct is to reflect a family likeness. We're to show the Lord in how we live. And so there are words used to describe the conduct, blameless, harmless, without rebuke. In summary, it speaks of our conduct as being persistent, consistent, lives of moral integrity before God and man. We will not be lights in the world by living like the world. We will not shine for Christ in the world by compromising to the world's standards. We are to live a blameless life. The word speaks of deserving no censure as being free from fault or defect. We understand that there is no such thing as sinless perfection in this world. Yet this word does speak of one who lives extensively for the glory of God. There is no obvious cause for censure or correction. As someone who's living an upright life. We see this in the Old Testament term perfect. Regarding Abraham, Abraham was 90 years old and nine. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. Regarding Job, it says the man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. Sometimes we tend to use the fact that we cannot be sinlessly perfect to excuse our sin, to excuse our lack of integrity. But yet we do see in the word of God that by God's grace we can live lives of uprightness and integrity in the things of God. Indeed, that is our responsibility. That we live in a way that is blameless and as Paul says in Philippians 2 here, that is without rebuke. A life that has no blame in the eyes of the world and a life that will not bring censure from the church. It will not bring rebuke, if you like, by the church elders. Blameless, harmless. The word harmless speaks of being unmixed. It's used regarding wines or metals. It speaks of that which is pure without a mixture of evil, speaks of that which is free from guile, innocent and simple. It's used in Matthew chapter 10. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. 
Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. This sense of innocence and purity. Regarding sin, Paul uses the term for the church in Rome where he says, I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple or harmless or pure concerning evil. To be harmless is to be pure, it is to be sincere and genuine, thus doing no harm to others. Oh, how our pure conduct is beneficial in the world. It is not to the harm and the detriment of others, but it is for their good. We are to live in this world blameless lives, upright lives, harmless lives, and we do so without faltering. It says there that we are to hold forth the word of life. To hold it forth is to hold it fast. It speaks of being faithful to the gospel. We cannot hold forth the word of life unless we hold it fast. You see, when we live in this world marked by crookedness and perversion, the temptation will always be to compromise our ways, to compromise our actions or to compromise our ethical standards. But the word of God holds firm. We are not to compromise. We're not to give in to the pressure of this age. We're not to change our thinking or our conduct just to suit the days in which we live. Rather, in the midst of such wicked days, we're to hold fast to what the Word of God says. We're to hold fast to a description of holiness and integrity. We're to hold fast to this in our churches, in our families and in society. In total, we are the greatest good in the world when we are least like the world. That we live lives of moral purity, deep holiness and firm integrity. That our lives are consistent with our lips. This is the will of God for us in the world. This is the will of Christ for his church. We cannot do this in our own strength. We need the grace of God. But by the grace of God, we can do this in such a way that we will be of manifest good in the world in which we live. Though we live in darkness and in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, we can, by God's grace, shine as lights in the world. We can make Christ known and we can, by his grace, see many souls coming to know and love our Saviour. I do trust that if you're a child of God, you're inspired today to live for Christ. And may this word be a blessing to your soul. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.